2: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here. The draft is right around the corner. And, uh, Buck, I don't know. I'm having a hard time sleeping right now. I'm starting to get
3: excited about this draft. (laughs) I'm really excited about it, but I'm putting in a lot of work on the weekend. Dude, you've been double duty, man. No, but not even that. Just trying to catch up with all the draft picks. Like trying to um, really hone in on those mid to late round guys. Make sure that I've seen everybody that got notes on everybody, and then trying to, you know, as we do, the cluster buster. Oh, so yeah. I spent a lot of time this weekend on wide receivers and defensive backs trying to sort out that crew.
0: Yeah, there's still uh, there's still some of these clusters where I'm just like, man, I've, I've gone back and forth now. I'm just like, just be done. Just back away. I cannot switch and go back and forth anymore when it comes to Jair Alexander and Mike Hughes, okay? I'm putting it to bed. I'm done with it. The two corners from UCF down. and Louisville. Yeah, just done. Yep. I have them touching each other. I think they're like 17, 18 on my list. Some days I wake up feeling like, man, I, no, i got to go with Jair Alexander on that one. And the next day you wake up, and you're like, but I don't know, Mike Hughes with the return ability. So, I mean, so I finally I'm just like done. That's it. I'm not going to think about it anymore. Hopefully they're both great players. I like both of them.
3: So funny. Um kind of off the heels of a conversation and a thing that we did on Path to the Draft, I did this with the wide receivers. I tried to break them up in different categories. Um, I think on Path we did outside corners, slot corners, guys that were versatile. So when I was looking at wide receivers I was like, well, uh, I was using the Dallas Cowboys as a reference. And I was like if I could break them up in four categories. The route runners, the big receivers slash red zone threats, the chain movers, your possession guys, and then your big play threats. Like how would I rank them? And I tried not to put guys in multiple categories, but I do believe as we're Kind of advancing to the next phase of what league is going to be, I think we're going to see kind of like a league full of specialists. It's no longer you got to know
0: what you want
3: exactly. What don't you
0: have, and what do you need? And 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 I think,
3: and I think, I think that's with everything, even when it comes to running backs. The days of a I want a first and second down running back, I want a runner, or a I want that pass catching threat, the guy that is the Alvin Kamara type, the Christian McCaffrey type. I think you almost in your 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 room, Mm -hmm. you almost have to separate a different category for those because it's not fair to compare um, a guy like Sonny Michelle to a Nick Chubb because they're different playing stuff. So their values are going to be rated differently. You have to put the Nick Chubb type with all the bruisers and bangers and maybe the Royce Freemans and the big types where Sonny Michelle goes with the Ronald Jones and the other guys. I'm curious to see, and I I guess when I pick up the phone, I call my buddies after the draft. See, how are they beginning to divide their – The board. board. Is the board divided – like even more specific than it used to be back in the day, I th- I was thinking of like you remember you seen the movie
0: Ocean's Eleven? Yeah, you know when they're putting the team they're putting their team together. <laughs> we need one of these and we need one of those. Yeah, and we need one of these and we need one of those. Like that's that's what I think of almost with the job. Like well, okay we got this now we just need to get the other thing. It's inside <laughs> the same position group. Yes, looking for different things. No, that's a, that's a great point, Buck. I think that's where everything is headed. One hundred percent. Uh, let's go with what we've got going on here we'll talk some draft buzz i have a new mock draft i can't i was told i can't give it all away because it's going to come out on tuesday but we can talk a little bit about that uh hit a couple draft sleepers we got two good interviews we're going to roll today as well luke falk quarterback from washington state who i think's got a chance to be a second round pick uh then we've got trent dilfer who's been training a lot of these guys as well
3: yeah so- trent, i mean like two really really good interviews obviously Luke Falk has been kind of on the rise. He's a guy that we both feel strongly about. He has an opportunity to play and play successfully in the league. And they would Trent Dill for all the things that he's done with these guys, from Elite Eleven to Soul and Science. That is a new show that he's premiering on our network where he teamed up with Sports Sciences John Brankus. Like he is really, really into the know when it comes to these young quarterbacks. Wow,
0: that will be good, two good conversations to uh, to jump into there. Uh, by the way, this uh, this mock draft that I've got coming out. Uh, finally my turn on this show, Buck. We've been doing this Mock Draft Live show. It's every mm-hmm. Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern. I've got a chance to just sit back and pick other people apart, which is a lot more fun, and now i got to get on the hot seat. Uh, uh, a little night. bit.
3: I think here. here's the thing, and I think this is um, – I guess maybe when we do a mock draft, we should probably always put a disclaimer at the top of it. How did you – what was your process in going through yep. it? Did you do it the way that you would do it if you were those teams – Or did you try to step outside yourself and act as 32 different general managers and do it the way that they typically would do it, based on their philosophy and what you know from them?
0: That's a great question. Um, I always tend to take the philosophy with these mock drafts to go off of information that I'm hearing, and then try and plug that into the mock draft, and then you know, my top 50 list more about uh, my own evaluation. But as you get closer, obviously, you know, I don't have, I don't have great sources inside all thirty two teams. So you're always taking what you hear, you're applying what you see on their roster, what they need, and then trying to match it match it all up. Um so it's kind of a hodgepodge there, I guess, to, to give you the answer on that one. Um the interesting thing to me, and I don't give away much of this thing, but just the very top choice was difficult. I, I don't know when when was the last time? I think we all kind of knew the word had got out that golf was going to be the pick over Carson Wentz last year, at least a couple weeks ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, we we had a pretty good feeling that's where that was going to go. Uh, this one, I still at the top, I, I think it truly is a toss-up. And if I was going to go off what people around the league expect and what's the chatter that's around the league, I would have gone with Josh Allen, mm-hmm. which after just saying that's how I normally do these mock drafts. But, Buck, there's just there's your your instinct that kind of is still there. And I'm like, you know what? If I, I've had Sam Donald going number one through the whole process. If I – switch it at the very end and say, I think Josh Allen could be the number one pick. Here's the deal. If 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 I have Darnold as the top pick and it ends up being Josh Allen, which is what a lot of people are talking about around the league, mm-hmm. I can live with myself. Mm-hmm. But if I've been riding Sam Darnold through the whole process and then I punt it at the very end and make the switch and say, oh, I think Josh Allen will be the guy, and then it ended up being Sam I'd be sick to my stomach.
3: I mean, I think, I think it's tough because, unfortunately, what has happened in this space, um, you're kind of judged and evaluated on your mock draft more so than your true opinion, your scouting report, or your big board, or any of those things. Yeah, yeah. And I think it really clouds it. It can cloud your evaluation if you're trying to get your mock draft right, and it blends into what your big board is. I think at the end of the day, like, I'm going to be honest with you, like, I'm probably the worst when it comes to mock drafting because I don't really put a lot of mm. into it. Yeah. My focus is lot yeah, on your list. the big board yeah. and the evaluation and making sure that whatever I tweet or say or write, um, I really can live with myself. So if people get upset about the mock draft, the mock draft is hard because, let's be honest, like, it's all a fictional exercise, and we ah, don't one know. One trade, and it blows one, the whole thing one up. One trade anyways. completely blows it up. So I've heard you say this before. Like, early in the process, you're trying to get people in the right neighborhood. Yeah. Later on, you're trying to get them in the right house. In the mock draft, you're kind of trying to put them in the house. But really, the big board is about making sure you slot people correctly. Because in three years where everyone is evaluated on, that's what it matters. you want that big board to be kind of reflective of what you really thought a player was going to be, and then you want to be able to judge it on that part. No question. So that's that's kind of the process I went through at the
0: top. I'll give you one other little teaser here. Uh, Josh Allen I had as the third quarterback taken, not the first quarterback. Mm. Again, probably 0% chance this thing is right, but it's a fun exercise never know. to kind of go through. You never uh, So be know. on the lookout. I think that's going to be up on NFL.com first thing Tuesday morning, and then we'll have the show. Uh, 8 Eastern, uh, Tuesday evening. We can uh, we can talk more about that there. Um, I wrote a little something, Buck, on uh, just kind of le- the buzz that you're hearing. Boy, it was on the phone a bunch this weekend just talking to guys, in between watching a bunch of down-the-line guys uh, really getting knee-deep in the sleepers, Buck. The, the tape quality, by the way, yeah, I mean, not great. I mean, knee-deep. Nah, it was not I mean, not great. But every now and then you stumble across somebody, you get excited. I got a great story. We, I talked to you on the phone about it. We'll share yeah, that story about a crazy player story. <laughs> in a little bit. Um but we kind of just go. Through. I wrote down ten things that I'm hearing, Buck, and we can go through these quick and just uh, tell me if it makes sense to, if you've heard the same thing or, or what you got there. The first one I put was Cortland Sutton's likely to be a first-round pick. Now he's somebody I have in the 40s on my on my sequence list, on my top 50 list. But talking to teams around the league, I think he's you know people are enamored with the size, the ball skills. Um, you know, he did a nice job at his pro day. He's been an impressive kid when they brought him in to visit with him. And it's kind of like you were saying, separating these clumps of wide receivers. And when you're looking for the big wide receiver, he's the best of the bigs. So that, to me, has put him uh, hit right in the mix to the point where I'd be surprised if he's not a first-round pick.
3: I mean, like, I think it very well could happen. I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to call Cortland Sutton a Kevin Durant-type wide receiver. He's a big man who plays small. Yeah. I don't think he plays big. He doesn't post people up. Um, you know, and talking to people who were at his pro day, they talked about the Dallas Cowboys really, really putting him through the paces. And the big thing that showed up in that, when they had him work against press, you would think a man of his size would try to use his size, his strength, his physicality to beat people in line but everyone was like, man, he was using foot fires and trying to use quickness, and it's just an odd matchup. We
0: talked about studying Antonio Brown, right? Yeah,
3: it's it's, it's odd for a seven-footer to be out there shooting jump shots, (laughs) shooting threes and being a three-point specialist, but that's kind of how he's electing to go about his business. And so for me, it's hard for me to completely buy in because I don't think he's fast enough to necessarily play a finesse game and win consistently. And I don't know if he has the dog in him or the temperament to be a monster on the outside that kind of abuses people with his physicality and toughness.
0: No, yeah, look, it's you make good points there. I think, to me, my biggest issue was just I didn't see much separation. He's always got somebody on his back. So he's always having to, to be in that position to make tough catches. Now, he'll flash some one-handed catches and do some special things. I want to say he's against Tulsa. Uh, has a ridiculous uh, one-handed mm-hmm. catch in that game. So he flashes some special ability there. Um, but you would like to see him just be more more physical at the catch point too. Just and
3: and I want to see him dominate like yeah. that. Here's the thing: he played in a in a conference where he should have been a dominant player. He put up really really good numbers. And so, when you're playing those things, you have to look at his games. He played against TCU. I didn't see him mm-hmm. necessarily dominate. So for me, I would I just have some reservation about watching him and trying to figure out how is his game going to translate when he has a Jalen Ramsey over top here. And that's not an necessarily a fair comparison, but when he has a dude that is a badass on the other side, how is he going to handle someone that wants to get up in his chest and kind of play big boy football? Does he have the capacity to take it another level and win with the physicality and the toughness that he's going to have to win with?
0: No question. All right, let's, let's roll through some of these other ones here. Uh, you know, of the quarterbacks, the big four, we've been talking about the whole draft process, uh, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Mayfield. I said Rosen is the quarterback most likely to slide. If we have a situation where three of these guys go in the top four or five picks and there's one left, talking to people around the league, that's the one they expect uh, to be left that could end up dropping down a little bit. Now you start getting Miami 11, Buffalo 12 if they can't get up. Um, You got Arizona a little bit lower than that. I I don't think he gets too far, but I think there is a chance that Rosen could – sneak out of the top 10 of all the quarterbacks that's the one that was mentioned the most
3: and I I mean I can see that and actually I would say that if that happens I think it would position him to be a player that could be a candidate for offensive rookie of the year I fully go to a better team too I fully believe that Josh Rosen is a guy that will be a much better player for a team that is already constructed and ready to go I don't think he's kind of the igniter right away that he can on his back do it but if you the reason I made the comparison with him and Matt Ryan is because Matt Ryan has a nice car in Atlanta. Yeah. Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu, two running backs. When that thing was working, Matt Ryan played like an MVP. When they didn't have that, it looks a little differently when it's all on him. And he came into the league with they had Michael Bennett and Roddy White and others. I think for Rosen, the personality is going to scare people because whatever it is, like that, that's how people view it. But in terms of the game, his game is what traditionally excels in the league the last 20 years. And so for him to go farther back will actually be better, much like I thought with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson going 12 was actually a blessing because he had a better supporting cast around him, and when he got his opportunity to play, he played well, so Josh Rosen would benefit the same.
0: My, my quick point on this is you've brought it up several times that Rosen you know, was kind of always the man. He was the man in high school, top player in the country. Goes to UCLA. He's expected to be the man there. Obviously, the big man on campus. We know all the hot tub, all that fun stuff, right? He is the dude. I almost think the best thing that can happen to Josh Rosen is to be the fourth quarterback and to slide a little bit in this draft. Let's take some of that chip, take some of that boulder off Baker Mayfield's shoulder and drop it on Josh Rosen's shoulder. You know, and it's it's happened before. Don't
3: hurt the shoulder, though. No, no, don't don't hurt the shoulder. Don't (laughs) Don't drop it on there too hard. Don't hurt the shoulder. Now, here's what happened at Elite Eleven. I think Trent can speak to this, like. We tried to do that. Mm-hmm. We had him sometimes when the rankings would come out because what they do at Elite 11, they rank the guys 1 to 11 every, every day. Yeah. And there were times when he was ranked 11. Even though we all knew he was not the 11th best quarterback, but we tried to do that. But if he goes, if he goes fourth, if he goes behind some guys that he clearly feels like he's a better player than, uh, I think it will kind of spike it up a little bit and kind of make him. But remember... His buddy that we saw him in Destination Dallas, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he had a little bit of that now. He carries that chip to this day, and so it may not be a bad thing for Josh Rosen to kind of have to deal with some of that. Uh, it was suck on draft day, but it may be more beneficial down the line. No question.
0: Next one here, this is a quick one. Colts uh, looking to trade down again. Just just talking to people around, like they they think they're trying to get out of there. So the Colts are sitting at six. They went from three to six, got a little extra sugar there from the Jets, and could look to trade down again. And I don't know if it'd be even all that expensive for a team looking to get up to six. It seems like the Colts uh, would be willing to get out. Maybe that's uh, what's the nine, floor. 10,
3: Eleven. What's the floor? What's the floor? If you're the Indianapolis Colts, you're Chris Ballard. What's the floor? And a lot of that centers on how do you view the breaking point yeah. of the elite players. Like if you take the quarterbacks and throw the quarterbacks out. How many elite players are at the top of the board? And if you say three or four are going to go high, where do I need to be at to get the lad to still be in range to get an elite player that falls out?
0: See, I think I would probably say ten or eleven is about as far as you would go because you're still going to end up with like when you look at the position players. Take if the four quarterbacks go in the top eleven picks, you're still looking at Quentin Nelson. Tremaine Edmonds, Denzel Ward, Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, Roquan Smith, and I will put the last one there is Vita Vea. I Boom. would not want to get out of that group.
3: Don't want to get out because it because it drops off because after those guys, who's after that? Who are some of the names that come right after, after that?
0: when you get after that group? Now you start getting into Marcus Davenport, who's a project. You got Mike Hughes and Jair Alexander, Geist, Deron Payne, Rashawn Evans. See, I think that's so a different to me. Level. Just
3: in hearing the yeah. names, yeah. I think it's a difference. I yep. think it's a difference. So you're right. I think if they can go back to 10 or 11, yep. you can still get a good player. You may not get the player that you necessarily want, but they have so many needs they still can get a blue-chip player. And that is why it's important to understand the board and yep. what is there. Stack. And I think they can be locked into a strategy. For If I'm Ballard, I kind of want to wait to draft day before I make the move because yes. I want to see what oh, happens. Oh, no question. I want to see what happens in front. Do those quarterbacks go one, two, and three? then that dictates like oh, okay now we can fall back a little farther. and let's let's take people behind the curtain here real quick so when you're having the
0: meetings in the couple days before the draft this is what happens so let's say let's say we'll let's start with the Colts say you're picking 6 you'll have that discussion in the room and say who will we not trade off of in other words if this player these players are there at 6 we're sticking and picking yep so at 6 it might be two players you know say hey if Chubb or Barkley are there we're picking them we're picking them Outside of that, we're comfortable sliding back. And then it's that th- whole thing we just did. Okay, what's the stack you're comfortable with? Okay, we have we, we view 10 players as elite guys. So yep. we are not trading out of that range. We're going to get one of our 10 guys. We're going to make sure we get a blue guy. Now you're picking, say you're picking 30, or 31 is the Patriots, right? If you're the Patriots, or they're, they're 23 as well. But say you're, you're picking there at the bottom. You might say, okay, there's 14 players we will not trade off of. Yes. And people think that – you'd be surprised. Sometimes you'll get your 13th or 14th rated player at pick 30 or 31 because everybody stacks these guys differently. Everybody
3: stacks them differently. So
0: you don't want to make that trade now because there's a chance maybe one of your top 14 guys gets to you. But when you all of a sudden – what happens is you're in the draft room, you're picking 31, and at pick 24, all 15 of your guys that you wouldn't trade off of are gone. Now you're picking up the phone and saying, okay, hey, we don't really see much difference between what's going to be here for us at 30 get versus what we can get at 40. So let's go ahead and start no, laying the groundwork and be ready to get out of there.
3: And, and that's a, a, a lot of stuff because now all the scouts are in. Like yep. everyone I've talked to, those guys have headed back. They're back in meetings, and they're going through these scenarios. <laughs> they're really trying to – we call it the cluster bustering. We're trying to put everything in clusters and trying to figure out range and value. We're picking 30. Who are the guys that have these values that are bottom of the first, top of the second? How many guys are there? Are there eight, nine, ten guys that yep. we feel good about at certain positions or whatever? And visually, you're looking. There's a line mm-hmm. on the board. You know where that line is and who's above the line and below the line, who's touching the line. <laughs> Those guys are the ones that we're comfortable with because the value kind of matches where we're picking. What you don't want is to be sitting there at 30. Yeah, You can't get out. All the guys above the line are gone. Hmm. The guys right below the line are also gone, and you're looking somewhere. The next tier. Yeah, you don't you don't want that.
0: But you got to have a name ready because if you can't get out, you can't get out. But th- this is the other reason why. Say you're again. Let's go back to that scenario. You're picking 31 and 30, 31, and there you've got 15 guys in your stack, and now you get to pick 21, 22. 14 of the 15 are gone. 22, 23, Now all of a sudden, you got a couple more picks, and you got one guy left. It's a game of chicken. Do you, we got one guy left? Do, do we I want wait, to stick and wait, or do, do we want, I want to try and up? go get him?
3: Yes, and so that and that is that is the thing. Is it's a little bit okay? So we got two guys left. Yeah. Two guys left. Six picks. Woo. Yeah, I don't know. Should we should we should we move up? Let's
0: let's just let's just wait and see if if one of them goes, and then as soon as one of them goes, okay, we us yeah, get, get on the phone. Gotta, let's get, gotta, get, on the get on the phone. We got to find go a way to get, get our guy. Yeah. So that's kind of take you behind the uh, the scenes there. What goes on there? I'm going to rip through like three or four more of these, Buck, and then uh, just you just get on any of them that you think are interesting here. Quentin Nelson, uh, the guard from Notre Dame. I have him just talking to people around the league. Six to eight seems to be the range there. If the Colts were there at six, Buck's at seven, Bears at eight. I don't think he gets out of that range. Six to eight for him. Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds. Man, there's a lot of people that really, really high on these two linebackers. And you look at teams outside the top ten. They keep asking me, is there any chance one of those two guys will be there? I don't think so. I think the way it's trending both those guys, which is unusual, two off-the-ball linebackers could go in the top ten. Um, Cowboys in the market for a wide receiver, as we all know. We talked a little <laughs> bit about Sutton. Yeah. But a safety, because as some people have seen it. Byron Jones, a lot of talk of him moving to corner, which frees him up for a safety. And if Derwin James and Minka Fitzpatrick are both gone, Buck, the sleeper name that I have there is actually a corner, and that's Josh Jackson from Iowa converting him to safety.
3: Interesting move. Um, And I think a lot of that would have been determined if you can make that move based on what he was able to do during the visit. Yeah. Um, What kind of intelligence and IQ and communication skills did he show during those meetings with the position coach and the D coordinator? Uh, You love the ball skills. And we actually saw something happen with one of his teammates, Desmond King, in a similar fashion. They yep. put him in a situation with the charges where he was around the ball. He had opportunity to keep vision on the ball. He made a lot of plays. And so for Josh Jackson, um, he has been dinged throughout this process because he didn't have a great combat. But when we look at the tape, he makes a lot of plays. The thing that I worry about on the island is he athletic enough to kind of play. He does have some similarities to Richard Sherman and how he plays. But he could be a pretty good safety if he has enough range, if he displays enough range to get over the top from the deep middle.
0: Yeah, so that was an interesting one there. A uh, couple more here. Chiefs um, Chiefs are not don't have a first-round pick. Obviously, that was from gone in the Mahomes trade. But I would keep an eye on them as a team that could move up in that top 35, top 40 range, top of the second round. I don't know if they can get into the bottom of the first round, but top of the second round, keep an eye on them. Need a corner buck, you know, Marcus Peters is gone. They lost a couple of the guys in position. I know you bring over Fuller, but still I don't think you're counting on Amerson to to do much for you. They need a corner bad. No, area. they
3: need a corner. They need a legit corner. And the only way they're going to get a guy that I believe can be a high end frontline starter is gonna to have to be someone that has a first round grade on them. We've talked about these guys. <laughs> I think the breaking point when it comes to those first round players that can do it. I think Isaiah Oliver to me is yeah. right at the line. That's when it starts um, to fall off. I, I think it starts to fall off. And that's saying like I have him, Alexander, uh, Hughes, I have Ward. Is there anyone else that we're missing in that? Dante Jackson
0: four. is an inside da- guy. Da-
3: Dante Jackson is an inside guy. But I think once you get to Isaiah Oliver, I think Isaiah Oliver is the last
0: mm-hmm.
3: of those guys that I think are first-rounder, like first-rounder types on the that outside mix. that you feel like day one we can pencil in and put him in the starting lineup. No question.
0: Uh, last three I had here. Uh, keep an eye on the Bills, especially if they can't get up. They, they're going to have to invest heavily in the offensive line. You lose three key guys when you talk about uh, Wood, Glenn, and Incognito. Those are three building blocks up front. So they have to go heavy on the offensive line. Maybe it's not at 12 and 22, but maybe with those next couple picks, I think you see them focus on the offensive line. Chargers, uh, we're going to talk to Luke Falk a little bit later on in the episode. That's a name you hear with the Chargers. Round two for them. Trying to find Phillip Rivers' replacement. I don't think they do it in round one. Falk, Rudolph, Laletta, guys like that, I would keep an eye on the Chargers potentially taking one outside around one. And the last one, Dante Jackson, we just talked about him. Uh, kind of the forgotten corner, but teams are high on him because they view him as the best nickel in the draft. Buck, and as we know, the way the board and the way the game's played right now, you you basically they got the starter. It's a starter. Your so.
3: nickel, your nickel is your twelve starter. On some depth charts, they list the nickel as a starting player. There you go. So. Um, that nickel needs to be able to play. He needs to be um, fast, athletic. He also needs to be tough enough and physical enough to get people down. I do want to say this. I wonder, with the Bills' O line losses, I know early in the offseason they were so obsessed with putting themselves in a position to get a quarterback. Yeah. I wonder if they regret giving up Cordy Glenn yeah. if they knew that Richie Incognito was going to retire. Because now you basically They're have playing, lost man, that up. entire side, the left side. Yeah. Because um, Richie was playing, was Richie playing left or right? Pretty Either way cognito. I, I, playing playing I thought he was playing on the left, side. So I'm pretty sure he was playing on the left. Um but regardless, you lose mean you lose three starters? Yeah, that's a lot. That's that's a lot to replace in a draft where we say you can get inside guys, but it would be tougher to get tackles. Mm-hmm. And so who's going to be the guy that plays?
0: And I like and I like Deion Dawkins, a young player uh at a temple Is a tough kid, but they need another tackle and they need some interior help. So uh I would keep an eye on them. Uh, potentially getting heavy into the offensive line there in this draft. Um, all right, Buck. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Anything you want to throw in there? Any other, any other stuff that's flying around?
3: No, no, no. Like I think I think you piggyback a lot. Like we're having a lot of the, the, the same conversations. You know, we talked about sudden. Roquan Smith is a guy that has a lot of buzz. Yeah. There's some people that say like we can't believe that he's not being discussed in the top five. I think some of that has certainly been clouded.
0: I think if the Colts can't get out. I think that Roquan or Edmonds make a lot of sense for them there. I think people have – we've penciled in Quentin Nelson there at six. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be shocked if one of those two linebackers uh, went, went up in that spot, if they can't yep. get out. Yeah. Um, a couple uh, a couple sleepers I mentioned at the top here before we get to this Luke Falk and in, uh, in Dilfer interview. One of my favorite stories, I uh, met, met uh, Luis Perez over the weekend – Quarterback at Texas A and M Commerce, who won the Harlan Hill Award, which is the Heisman for Division II, won the national championship, threw for darn near five thousand yards. I think it was actually four nine 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 um, and forty six touchdowns, something crazy like that. Actually, then went back and watched him on tape, and he, he's got some ability. I think he's going to be a late a chance to be a late round pick or going to be a priority free agent. But Buck, this is the darndest story I've ever heard about a player. I mean, you tell me. If, I, know, if I, I call it. I call Buck over the weekend. I am like, hey, you are not going to believe this. This kid, because I grew up down in San Diego, so I know the area well. He went to high school down there in Chula Vista, Otay Ranch High School, and uh, his freshman year, he was telling me he went out to play football, and they had him at wide receiver, and they were like a wing T team. So that's like this is the worst. Uh, so he <laughs> he was out. He he bailed. So he gets into bowling, and becomes this phenomenal bowler who's traveling around going to bowling tournaments all, all over the country. He says he's bowled twelve perfect games. Roy Munson. He was like Roy Munson. It's it's unbelievable. <laughs> he's bigger than McCracken. Ernie. Uh, so he he is like a legit a budding bowling superstar. <laughs> and then his oh, he, this is why he's in high school. His last it's his last the last high school football game though of the season he didn't go. So he didn't go to any of the high school football games. He wasn't even into it. But his buddies begged him to come to the last home game. Goes to their last home game. Sees his buddies come out of the tunnel and gets his juices flowing he's like man i want to play football <laughs> so he's never played in high school so he goes to southwestern junior college a coach there named ed carberry who i've known he's kind of a legendary coach in san diego he's coached high school at monta vista and then he's uh, uh he's been there monta vista had michael wiley remember him he played at ohio yeah. State, the cowboys yes his team but anyways coach carberry down there so he goes to uh, southwestern junior college and wants to walk on so he goes that's fine but you're number nine on the quarterback list. The kid's never played quarterback. He told me he was on YouTube trying to learn how to play the position on YouTube, getting tips and ideas of what to do. That's unbelievable. So he's there for two weeks. Carberry tells him, uh, hey, look, there's not enough reps to go around, but I'm going to cut you. And He goes, well, you, can't, you can cut me, but I'm going to still come to practice every day and be off to the side because you haven't given me a chance yet, and I, I need to at least get a chance. <laughs> so he sticks with it. Long story short, he ends up climbing up to number two on the depth chart. The starter gets hurt. Uh, he gets in. First game, throws for 300, three touchdowns, <laughs> rushes for a touchdown. <laughs> it's crazy. And then he ends up, I guess, breaking his leg the next game. So long. one, it goes, one game One, game, one, one game, game. and then comes. So then it, then he ends up, somehow he ends up getting uh, uh, preferred walk-ons from like Oklahoma State, a couple other Division One schools. But Texas A&M Commerce, Division Two, says, hey, we'll, we'll bring you in. So he goes there, red shirts a year. Starts a year, has a great year, takes him, I think, in the second round of the playoffs. You know, as far as they'd ever been in the playoffs. And then his last year there, he goes and wins the national championship, <laughs> the, the so Harlan good. Hill Award. He played the NFLPA game. Uh, he's been talking to some teams, so he's got a shot. This dude was a bowler in high school and has a chance to be an NFL quarterback. Might be my favorite story. He doesn't of the have to lean year. on the uh, PBA combine anymore. No, 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 no. That's a fallback, though. It's yeah. a nice fallback. But there's video. Uh, trust me, you got to look up this video. There's video of him picking up <laughs> a 110 split between his legs. That's, he bowls uh, a ball between his legs and picks it up. Wow, it's unbelievable. I've never heard a story like this in my life. It's phenomenal. <laughs> so, that's so unbelievable. Yeah, so. let's do a 360 on him. Yeah, he needs a mini 360. Yeah, Maybe a 180. <laughs> a 180. So unbelievable. That's, that's fun, great. That's uh, I'm going to show you this video here. The Ernie Buck. McCracken of football. Oh, it is so it is so good. You, all right, here you go. Watch this. This is between his legs. Watch this, Buck.
3: He puts a little spin on that. And he, watched, <laughs> he didn't even watch it all the way to completion. Oh,
0: no, he knew it was in.
3: Oh my! Oh,
0: that is so good. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I, so I'm a fan. He is a great kid. Getting a chance to visit with him, so uh, definitely one to uh, to keep an eye on there. Luis Perez, another uh, sleeper. Uh, Tarvarius Moore. Uh, I know our buddy Lance Airline's been talking about him for a long time. Southern Miss safety ran four three two at his at his pro day. Got a chance to finally study him. He is a really good safety. Uh, lean, uh, real real smooth, athletic kid. Um, he's got uh, great change of direction. You know, I see him get a little bit thicker. Um, He's 6'1", 199 pounds, ran 4.32. Um, but man, I you know I thought he was a really good player, Buck. He's got some ball skills. He's somebody that didn't go to the combine. I think's gonna hear at worst you're talking about a fourth rounder. I gave him a third round grade, uh, but a really good player there. So there's some there's some good guys that weren't
3: combine nah, guys. How about, how about for, for me? Like it's funny because over the weekend I was doing all these wide receivers, so I stick to a wide receiver. Uh, Darius Fountain. Fountain. Yes, thank you.
0: Freaking my language. Nor, I'm a Darius Fountain guy. Yeah,
3: like the the way that he played. Obviously, he got a little buzz when he got that uh, offensive. MVP in the East West Shrine. Yep. But then when you watch him on tape, like, he has some athleticism. He has some ball skills, does That's a great job juice. of winning 50-50 balls. Look, anytime – I'm telling you, when you go back and you dig in their, their research and they, they can win um, state meets and long jump and hurdles or sprints, says something about them. And so that kind of athleticism, when, you, when you're when down at the bottom of the draft, oh, yeah. when you're down in the fifth and sixth Give me a round, trait. And you're looking for guys who have remarkable traits, like, that speed is – ridiculous and i think it, it it's going to help him be a guy that gets a little juice you guys are looking at bowling videos behind the glass I <laughs> yeah think we're, we're looking at bowling videos how great is that that's awesome yeah
0: <laughs> he's the most intriguing man in the draft yep the, the most interesting story. man yeah um the uh, another one a couple of other guys here down the line guys pj hall well, not, look, I gave PJ Hall like a third-round grade. This defensive tackle from Sam Houston State. He's just over six feet, three hundred eight, but he is explosive. I put a couple of videos out there on my uh, Instagram page. Um, you can check check it out. Just move the sticks on there, but you can see, man, he is he can play up and down the line he's got a little you know it's it's sacrilegious to say it but he's got a little Aaron Donald to him buck he's oh. like the, the, he's like the Ooh. he's like the small school Aaron Donald but he is dynamic twitched up and he's uh, he's a very productive player so he's another one that's interesting uh, a guy that's getting some buzz is Tremont Smith uh, small school corner Man, I, the first game I watched on him, though, was against Kansas State and Pringle. Pringle got him. bit. <laughs> I'm not a big Pringle guy, so that hurt me. Uh, so I, I wasn't necessarily drinking that Kool-Aid as much. But, uh, yeah, it's fine. I actually, full disclosure, when I get to this point in the process, I mean, I'm not doing a full three-game workup on these guys. It's literally... I'm watching the first 25 plays to see if they're worth another, oh. another, another t- if you don't if you don't flash in I the first 25 right plays away. then I'm on to the next one. I need you flash. Right so away. that's kind of how you do it. <laughs> it's not enough time in the day to watch all these dudes, so that's kind of where we are in the process, but it's a fun Fun stuff.
3: That's funny. You're, you're flash scouting. Yeah,
0: yeah. Scan need, sc- we called it scan scouting. And he just pop right away. Hurry up. Uh, Phil Savage was our boss in the, with the Ravens, and he used to always talk about spring scouting. So once the draft's over, for those that don't know, you'll start doing some spring and summer work on guys to just, again, get them in the right guys, neighborhood. Guys that pop. Yeah, guys get them in the right neighborhood for the fall so when you go on your visit you're a little bit familiar with them. But he used to always say, you know, in the summer, guys, look. Put your feet up. You can have your tennis racket in one hand, put your feet up on the desk, and you just kind of keep an eye on it. You know, it's not like you're – you don't need to be locked in a, laser focus. Not a horoscope. Yeah, you're just, just trying to just get a just good – Where does traits. he line up? Okay, I know where to find him when we when I go in there in the fall and get a decent feel for him. But I always remember thinking, like, Phil, none of us play tennis. We don't have <laughs> tennis rackets. <laughs> Terry Donahue? Yeah. Not Terry Donahue? No. <laughs> uh, anyways. <laughs> hey, let's, uh, let's get to our interviews here. We've got a couple interviews. I hope you enjoy them here. Luke Falk first, followed uh, by Trent Dilfer. All right, Buck, we got our, uh, our good friend Luke Falk joining the show. Got a chance to visit with him down at the Senior Bowl and wanted to check up with him and see what's going on. Luke, how you doing, man?
4: I'm doing well. How are you guys doing?
0: Good. What have you been up to? Simple
3: question.
4: Uh, just a lot, of, a lot of workouts, a lot of visits, uh, just staying busy.
3: So in, in staying busy, what are some of the things that you've been trying to show evaluators doing those workouts?
4: Uh, I think one thing is just the arm strength, strength, uh, People are trying to knock me on it, but I think we've done a really good job of going out there and uh, you know showing we got uh, you know NFL arm, franchise quarterback arm, and uh, so I, you know I'm I've been really happy with how the workouts have been going and uh, you know how the whole process has been.
0: Have you noticed a difference? I mean, is it kind of the same formula you get with different teams, uh, or, or are you just seeing hey, some guys come in here they only want you to throw uh, these couple routes, while other teams want to see different things? I mean, how how is it from team to team in the workout process? For those that don't know.
4: Yeah, it varies. I mean, uh, some teams, they kind of have the same style as other teams, but, uh, you know, there's others that they'll put you through an hour-long workout. Some only want to see you throw uh, 30 balls. So, uh, you know, it just varies.
3: You know, in in thinking about the workout part of it or the visits, what has it been like for you to get on the board? There's always this conversation about air-raid quarterbacks and how they assimilate to the league. How has that part been for you?
4: Yeah, it's been really fun for me. I feel like, uh, you know, my football IQ is pretty good. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of the lion scrimmage at Washington state. So it's been fun for me to get up on the board and, and, uh, you know, just show NFL teams that, that I know ball and, uh, you know, that I'm ready to play. Has there been one area just footwork wise or mechanically at all that you've, uh, that you've really tried to hone in
0: and work on during this phase?
4: Well, I think uh, just, you know, the under center stuff, tempo point drops, getting getting your depth on them, uh, you know, but that'll be something that I've got to work on and, and continue to work on just not playing underneath, uh, you know, in my college career. But, uh, you know, I think it's been going real well. Um, I've had a lot of fun with it. Just watching when I got
0: a chance to go down there and watch you throw while you're training and then getting an even chance to see at the combine. I thought your feet looked great for somebody that had been in the gun exclusively. Did you guys ever at all take snaps under center in practice, or were you working that on the off season? I just find it hard to believe you could be at that level and, and as smooth and as comfortable as you were having not done it.
4: Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Um, in the seven-on-seven seven in the summers, we'd always go under center. Coach Leach wanted us to get our timing down that way, so he felt like it'd be easier for us in the gun. So I uh, really appreciate, uh, you know, that work that he had us do in the summer. I think it really helped me. Uh, you know, I think it's going to pay off for me.
3: So over the next few weeks, as the draft is getting near, what's what's kind of the plan? What's the plan for you to get ready for draft day?
4: Uh, well, i got to knock out a few more, few more workouts, and then, uh, you know, after that I'm just going to – you know, continue to stay in shape and then uh, just kind of keep my mind off it. Um, I think uh, my fiance and I and my dog are going to go somewhere, uh, you know, five five days before, you know, get get away from everything and, uh, you know, just uh, turn our phones off and just hang out.
3: How tough has that been? Like, I mean, going through the process, like how tough is it now? Because you have the Internet and you have all the TV shows kind of dedicated to the draft. How hard is it to kind of stay in your bubble and to not get swayed by what, the opinions that are floating out there about Luke Falk and where he may wind up.
4: Yeah. You know, I stay off that stuff. I think it's, uh you know, people around you that are always on it. And then they're trying to tell you where you're projected <laughs> and all that. So I just, I just tell them that I don't pay attention to it. And, you know, you will see on, on draft night. So, you know, me personally, I don't really use my phone all that much, so it's it's not that hard.
0: Now, I, I've talked to you about this a little bit before, off camera. But I, for those that don't know, just when I when I watch you, I brought it up to you. Even said, have you have you studied Tom Brady? Have you spent any time watching what he does? <laughs> because from a mechanical standpoint, I think some of this goes with some of the people you've worked under. But just mechanically, in terms of where you are with your left side, uh, keeping everything nice and tight, and help help obviously with accuracy. But you look like a spitting image of Tom in terms of your drop, your mechanics, your setup, your approach. And then getting a chance to visit with you, that's not totally by accident.
4: You know, I, he, he's the guy that I watched, uh, you know, all growing up. So you just try to model after somebody you see. And then, uh, you know, been fortunate enough to work with Adam Dato, John Beck, and, uh, you know, Taylor Kelly and those guys down there. So I uh, appreciate you saying that. It's a big compliment to me. But, uh, you know, I think uh, – I think, it, you know, just watching him and uh, just trying to emulate my game after him. What about
0: the diet, though? Have you bought in?
4: <laughs> you know, they're putting me on this big weight gain diet right now, just uh, <laughs> trying to get our numbers up. So I wouldn't say I'm eating kale and uh, avocado all the time.
0: <laughs> There's that's, time for that. that. That's the next phase.
4: There's that, uh, that, That'll phases. be the next phase.
0: Exactly.
3: Yeah, that is funny. So I, I think it's funny because you talk about patterning your game after time. If you could ask him one question, what would be the one question that you want to know learn from him, the one thing?
4: Uh, just his routine. You know, I want to know what he does on a daily basis. Um, I tried to, I tried to find it out in the, the TV 12 book, but you know, he's not, he's not giving up the secrets there.
3: No, you got to watch the <laughs> Facebook show. You got to watch, you gotta watch yeah, the Facebook I, did, show. I
4: did, I did. I still can find, <laughs> find the daily routine. So.
3: so when you're watching, when you're watching
0: Tom versus time on Facebook, do you have like a notebook out? Are you taking notes through that process? <laughs> no, I'm not that obsessed. You're, you're just, so. you're just enjoying it.
4: No, I was just uh, you know, I was I, just watching it. I, I think took it came notes. out when I was down at the Senior Bowl, so I was I was watching it at night, and uh, you know, just hanging out. Josh Allen was watching. I can't even remember <laughs> what he was watching, but I was watching Tom Verstappen.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. There's nothing wrong with that because I'm always trying to steal ideas from the great ones, and I think yeah. he obviously is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, to ever do it. And so. I commend you for trying to follow in his footsteps and to take some of that stuff because what he has shown is that you can play at a high level uh, for a long time if you do it the right way mentally and physically. So,
0: Last question for me, yeah. Luke, is that during this process, the senior bowl and the guys you've been training with, you get a chance to develop some relationships with guys maybe you didn't know before this process started. Give me, can you give me one guy that you would just say you put your stamp on as a dude and just say you've gotten to know him through this process and, and uh, you kind of let you play scout or just kind of vouch for somebody? Is there somebody out there for us?
4: um you know i really like ucla center uh Quisenberry, uh scotty i call him golden eyes because he's got some freaking golden eyes but he's like he's a great he's a great dude um at the senior bowl uh you know i had a great time with him and uh you know i thought he did a great job
0: see that's helpful we always keep track of that kind of stuff
4: hey look yeah, man we wish yeah.
0: you wish you the best of luck thanks for taking some time out for us today i know you've been crazy busy with all these workouts but uh we're we can't wait to see what happens on draft weekend and find
4: out where you're going. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Go Cougs.
0: All right, Buck, excited to welcome in our buddy Trent Dilfer here. Uh, sixth overall pick in the 1994 draft, but really kind of the caretaker of quarterbacks is the official uh, title that I'm giving him here. Trent, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing great, guys. Fun to be with both of you.
0: Well, we, we're looking forward to this conversation. I want to first at the top here, you got to explain to me stolen science here. Explain to me what's going on here with you and John Brinkus.
2: Yeah, super fun project. Obviously, been out of the media for a year. Um, John and I became really close friends about five years ago while we were both working at ESPN, and uh, kind of always brainstormed and dreamed around doing a partnership together. Uh, I loved his soul and si- I'm sorry, I loved his sports science pieces. I uh, was always a big fan. He was out of Monday Night Football a lot with us as we were doing Monday Night Football, putting together pieces. Uh, he always appreciated my uh, peeling back the layers of players and trying to dig a little bit deeper than just the typical analysis. Um, and then last year, as we were both bored to death sitting around watching football instead of talking about it, uh, we started coming up with this idea to do short-form content pieces um, that kind of combine both of our strengths, um, trying to find something unique where we can dive, take a really deep dive into players, uh, starting with quarterbacks, but really going to all sports. Uh, doing the old sports science pieces, which won six Emmys for John Brankus and his team. Uh, and then adding in the soul component, which really opens it up for anything. Um, the kind of the essence of what, how these athletes find their excellence. Uh, there obviously is a tangible piece, a measurable piece. Uh, but there's also an immeasurable piece. Um, and kind of exploring that and uh, doing some cool stuff around it. So we started with this year's draft quarterback class. We met with most of them, tested them out in Southern California, um, spent some good time with them, and and came up with these short-form content pieces, which will air starting Wednesday on NFL Network.
3: Very cool. No, it sounds really cool. Now, Trent, you and I go all the way back, not only the same draft class, 94, you're six, I'm 48, but now doing yeah,
2: some of the stuff. Yeah, but you look stuff. a lot better than me.
3: <laughs> not really. But now doing all the stuff with Elite 11. And so your perspective is unique because obviously you see him in high school, you see him in college, you get to know him as pros. How much of that knowledge from high school are you able to bring and introduce in the Soul and Science piece?
2: It's massive. It's really that unique access that we talk about in the pieces. Um, You know, as you guys know, let me kind of go off on a tangent here. I have three daughters that are competitive volleyball players. And and when they started playing at the younger ages, I had this friend that was on my oldest daughter. He was the father of a girl on my oldest daughter's team. He had coached girls basketball forever. And he taught me a really valuable lesson that I have learned really that transcends to all sports is that – what a kid is at 12, 13, 14 uh, as a competitor, uh, not as an athlete, um, not in terms of their IQ, but as a competitor, their natural instincts, what's inside of them. Uh, I think some call it their competitive temperament really doesn't change that much. It evolves and it can get better, um, but it's kind of the core of who they are. I say that because I've learned that's true with football players also. Uh, when you get a kid in high school, uh, really any position, but especially quarterback, and you start to understand what makes them tick, you start to understand um, all the things in their background that have built them competitively to where they're at to that point, that doesn't really change a whole lot the older they get. Again, it evolves, and hopefully it gets better, um, but the core is the same. So I got to know most of these kids really well as we went on that Elite 11 journey with them. And it really allows me to, when I look at them, not just from a physical standpoint and their traits, but from a competitive makeup, how they think, how they talk to themselves, how they act under pressure, uh, how they respond to adversity, how they interact with their teammates. Um, are they entitled or are they grinders? Um, all the all those different things. We can go on forever. A lot of that hasn't changed. It's evolved. As I've said, um, but the core of who they are is the same as they were when they were sixteen, seventeen years old and and uh, that's really what we try to touch on in these soul and science pieces and as I've looked at this draft class, which I personally think is going to be a historic quarterback draft class, um, I think a lot of that goes back to what I found out about these kids when we evaluate them and, and coach them through the elite 11.
0: well that, that brings me right to the first one we can talk about here let's go let's start with Sam Donald here. Somebody going through that process, when you first became familiar with him, I know he was kind of a late bloomer, having played another position there at San Clemente before moving to quarterback, but how about him? You talked about being able to learn about them as 16-, as 17-year-olds, how they think, how they interact, how they lead, are they grinders? What did you learn about the young version of Sam Darnold?
2: Natural in everything that he does. The first tape I ever saw on Sam wasn't football tape. It was high school basketball tape. He had broken his ankle three games into his junior year at San Clemente, and uh, there wasn't a lot of junior football tape on him. He played a different position the year before. Uh, and then Joey Roberts, who both of you know very well, uh, our director of scouting Elite 11, um, had sent me one night, late one night, a link to his basketball huddle film. And he said, hey, you got to check this Get out. And um, at the time, Sam, I don't think Sam had any offers. You can check with him, but I don't think he had any offers. He was really low on a lot of people's radar. Uh, And I watched him play basketball. And I said, whoa, this is a – and again, it wasn't – it's not like I was watching Michael Jordan play. Mm -hmm. But for what my eye was looking for, the natural body movement, the body control, the competitiveness, the sacrifice for his team. He covered the point. He covered the post. He dribbled crossover, step back. He took it to the hole. He dished. He ran the floor. Uh, He truly was everything you're looking for um, as a competitor as well as an athlete. Uh, And I said, hey, if if this kid can throw it at all, and if he's coachable, then this is what we're looking for. And as we went through the spring and ended up trying out in May in in Oakland, uh, it was obvious after about five balls that he threw that this was going to be a special prospect because, remember, you're looking for kids, The kids that have high ceilings are the ones that haven't been overtrained at 16, 17 years old. So you can kind of get a feel for their raw traits. Um, But also you could say, wow, this is a great piece of clay, and if you could mold this kid the right way, the ceiling is exponentially high. And that's how we felt about Sam. Now, he hadn't played a lot of football. He did not have the greatest Elite 11 um, experience. Well, he had a great experience. Didn't have the greatest Elite 11 performance we've ever seen. Um, but he grew every rep. He took the coaching. I mean, that's when him and Jordan Palmer really developed this special relationship that exists today. Is is JP saw the same thing we all did and kind of took him under his wing. And and uh, you can just and I still see the growth that's there. Like he hasn't even come close to tapping into his potential. Uh, that's why I really believe he's kind of a I've used this term a transcendent type talent.
0: All right, let's let's switch over to Josh Rosen here, Trent uh it's you've talked about it a bunch it's all out there why don't you just for those that are listening to this or watching this that aren't familiar Josh Rosen's Elite 11 experience of anybody I think if you pulled every single quarterback that's come through Elite 11 I think you get overwhelmingly glaring just positive reviews but Josh Rosen that experience
2: wasn't great for him or you and that is that accurate very accurate um Rears Digest version Josh was the number one prospect in the country. Mm-hmm. I saw uniqueness in him, and I made the mistake of kind of going at him too hard. Um, he wasn't, and he would tell you this, by the way, if we were doing a conference call together, he he would agree with, I think, everything I'm about to say. He didn't really want to get coached. He He was so successful at John Bosco. He had a great offensive coordinator there that had taught him a lot of football to that point. Um, they did things a very specific way that was successful. And I wanted to introduce him to kind of an NFL curriculum and bypass the college experience because I felt he was that kind of good. Um, that was a mistake (laughs) (laughs) because I coached him too hard. I was too hard on him. And then I made some public comments about his unwillingness to be coached that uh, I should never have made. Uh, and we had a lot of friction between the two of us. Uh, He did not have a very good experience and a very good performance. Uh, It was probably my poorest job as a coach in all my years of elite 11. Uh, So it was not good for either one of us. Now, what was amazing about Josh and really where I changed my whole outlook on Josh was last summer without me asking him, Brian Stump, the president of student sports asked him to come be a counselor for us. And he, he, he was more than willing to be a counselor. So me and him did not have a good relationship, yet he chose to come to Southern, Southern California, be a counselor, help these kids out, and while he was there, really engaged with me and, and asked me to kind of go back a couple years and reintroduce him to that stuff I was trying to coach him on when he was 17. That showed a lot of growth, showed a lot of humility, uh, showed a lot of uh, maturity on, him, on his end. Uh, Josh and I have a great relationship now. Um, I think we both have recognized that we didn't handle that Elite 11 experience very well. And I really come to admire Josh. And I understand him better, too, and understand what happened at UCLA and understand some of these narratives that are going on around him and and why they've stuck. Uh, And I feel like I can um, really give some insight to why he's perceived one way, but in reality is something very different.
3: Trent, it's funny that you bring that up about Elite 11 because as hard as you were on him as the overall coach of the Elite 11, he was my quarterback on my team. And I came away with the same thing. I thought at the time, at 17, he was uncoachable. He wasn't willing to listen. He was the most talented guy there, but he did the least with the talent because he just wouldn't humble himself enough to learn everything. But like last summer, I had an opportunity to be around him at that Elite 11, and he was different. He was humble. He was outgoing. He did things that he didn't show at 17, and it really changed the narrative that I had on him because I wasn't a big fan. I wasn't a big fan of his mentality and how he went about it, but after that, I had a better understanding. So now spinning that forward, how does that play? How does that personality, how does that thirst for knowledge that he has, how does that play at the next level?
2: Well, I think fit's going to be really important for Josh. Um, I think you're going to have to have an offensive staff that understands uh, him as a person uh, and be willing to give him a lot of responsibility, give him a lot of um, stuff to learn, but yet behind the scenes control how much is actually used. And I know that sounded vague, but here's here's what I learned about Josh. You can't bring any weak sauce any day. Mm-hmm. You got to bring your A game. He expects you to bring your A game every single day when you're coaching him, um, and he's going to push back if he feels like you got lazy. Mm-hmm. So every day in those often you guys can, you know, educate the the listeners more on what that looks like. But every Tuesday, every Monday, post game, you got to give him reasons why things happen on Sunday, and then Tuesdays you're introducing the game plan to him. You gotta give them a the why behind everything. You gotta systematically break down where why you got to this point and why this is the plan you're using to to face the next opponent. And then Wednesday morning, the install meetings. There better be real reasons why versus single high man we're working on one side and single high zone we're working on another side and why we're changing the protection versus this front and why we're, you know, IDing this guy as the mic and these fronts with the safety profiles and he needs to know everything because that's the way his mind works um that's a good thing by the way i think aaron Rodgers is very similar to that mm-hmm. i think tom brady's very similar to that that you have to give them everything that you have because they're giving everything that they have uh, every single day also so i think that's how it plays off now if he goes somewhere where these coaches are bringing the weak sauce and they're just saying hey do it because i told you to Mm -mm. watch out because you might have 17 year old josh resurface
0: hey trent we know you're busy man thank you so much for for taking some time we could do this for another hour and a half easy
2: (laughs) always fun to be with you guys
0: thanks dude appreciate it all right that's just a snippet of our conversation with trent dilfer if you want to hear more on trent's thoughts In regards to Josh
3: Rosen, the 360 episode featuring Josh Rosen will be out on Tuesday, Buck. Oh, you need to check it out because he goes even deeper, gives you everything that you want to know about Josh Rosen. It's a fantastic interview.
0: And also, be sure to check out next week because we're going to have great insight from Trent on our Sam Darnold 360, our final 360 podcast to drop. And Trent had some really interesting things to say about Sam as well. That'll be the final episode,
3: seven in total, Buck. It's our most complete 360 series we've ever done. It's been fantastic. We wanted to make sure you check out all of our 360s, but the Josh Rosen and the Sam Darnold are two fascinating discussions. So be
0: on the lookout for those. Podcast. This is going to do it for us today, though. Thank you so much for, for checking us out. Be sure to uh, to download the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, nfl.com slash podcast, as well as iTunes, or sorry, the Apple podcast. You can find it there as well. Check out the 360s, our regular podcast. And you check out our videos, nfl.com slash MTS video. We've got all your draft needs covered right here on Move the Sticks. That's going to do it for us today. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel Jeremiah. We'll catch you next time.
1: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, Owen oh, Two Door Cinema Club.